Good morning, saints. Good morning. It is good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Welcome to those who are joining us online. So it's not lost on me that since the last time I was here, war has broken out in Europe. And I don't want to just gloss over that. And I'd like to take a moment, if you would, if you would join me just in, in a word of prayer um, as, well, let's pray together, shall we? Most gracious Heavenly Father, our hearts are grieved and they're broken with the unimaginable heartache, devastation, destruction, and loss of life in Ukraine. Words fail to express the depths of our heart, what we are feeling for them. Oh Lord, we pray for peace in Ukraine. We pray specifically for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are doing their best to serve and to love those around them. Thank you for the pastors and ministry leaders who have chosen to stay. Lord, for the network of people all over Europe who are welcoming in refugees selflessly. Grant them favor as they do just that. Lord, hear our prayer. By your sovereign will, we pray. If it pleases you, that you would bring peace to that region. All of these things we pray in your name. Amen. So our text today circles back on themes that we have already addressed, that John has already spoken to at great length. In just a few short verses in our passage today, John will reference love 14 times in different ways. 26 times throughout this entire letter, which is not that long, but in our short passage, love is spoken to 14 times. What a grand theme. The love of God. So immense that we cannot possibly fully understand it this side of glory. The love of God that brings us comfort. That effects our salvation for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. This great theme, the love of God, is now going to be placed next to another great theme in the book of 1 John, and that's this. The life of God in the life of people. The life of God present and at work in the hearts of people. 
We'll take all of this together and we'll tie together these themes that John has been speaking to and developing. And he's coming back, kind of like I said, a circular fashion. He keeps on coming back to these very basic and beautiful themes in his letter. John, remember, at this point is elderly. He is in isolation. He's on Patmos. He knows he will likely die there. His heart is with his people, with the Christians, with the churches that he had helped lead. And he's asking a question led by the Spirit. What do they need to hear? Bear in mind, John has said over and over again that to love God and to love people is the natural disposition for the Christian. It is the natural disposition because God now lives in us. At one and the same time, it is our natural disposition, but we are called and required to flesh that out. To be intentional in how we love people. And as we've said before, this is not a fluffy love. This is not not getting all up in your emotions and feeling something. I mean, that might be a part of it. But love is difficult. Love cuts against the grain. Love dies to yourself and puts others before us. As we'll see, John puts the love of God, the example we have As how and why we love other people. Saints, what a time for us to be known as people who love. What a time for the love of God to be on full display in fallible people like you and me. I'll tell you the obvious. We're, Lord willing, pulling out of COVID in the last two years. There's a lot of hard conversations, honestly, that some of us need to have in understanding different views and perspectives. We see war in Europe that we have not seen since the last world war. Lots of opportunities, lots of need for us to step up our game. To be very intentional in how we live all of this out. With one another in particular. So let's look at our text. Let's read our text. It is 1 John chapter 4. So if you would turn or scroll in your copy of God's word to 1 John chapter 4. And we'll begin in verse 7. Beloved. There's the heart of John. Dear children, we see that a lot. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. 
In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God. No, no. Not that we have loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So let's take these different themes and put them together. John is repeating himself, and so at parts I'll repeat myself as well, because repetition is the mother of all learning, and John knows that very well. He is making the themes in, this, in his letter to be absolutely unmistakable. The life of God in the hearts of people. What a concept. John affirms what we see elsewhere in the New Testament, that as Christians, we have the Spirit of God alive and living inside of us. It is impossible for us to not be different than what we were before or those around us. So let's review some key terminology, a little theological primer here. Every Christian, the Bible says, every single Christian has been justified. That's a word that Paul loves to talk about. You'll see that often from Paul. We've been justified by faith. Justified simply means to be declared both not guilty and to be declared righteous. It's a legal term. It is a status change in which all of our sins that we accumulate in our lives, we have been declared as if those sins never took place. That is amazing grace. What is justification? It is being forgiven. It is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, taking my sin upon himself. He who knew no sin became sin that I might become the righteousness of God in him or the righteousness of Christ. So that's justification. Oftentimes when we talk about salvation, we have these three key words that we hone in on. Justification. Well, then there's sanctification. Sanctification, or to be sanctified, means to be set apart. Holy. So, Christians are both set apart unto the Lord, but we're also being made holy. That is, in our lives, as we walk with the Lord, the Spirit is transforming us to be more like 
Christ. And the goal is when we were first justified or became Christians, that as we mature and grow in Christ, that we have a greater likeness to Christ now than we did back then. Now, here's the catch. Um, Trying to think of a good example. Now, sometimes, like if you go like on a roller coaster or something, I'm not a roller coaster person, but there is a set, there's a set path that you go on, right? The idea is you cannot deviate from that path because that path is set. Sanctification is not quite like that. Sanctification requires my participation in this process. The Lord is always at work in me. There is no question about that. But if we were to look, if we were to create like a bar graph or some kind of metric for what sanctification or looking more like Christ means or looks like, it will differ from person to person. And we know very well that in different seasons of our lives, we grow more. Oftentimes, most often, that's in the valley. Difficult times where the Lord, where we are pressed. But the Lord is growing us in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's certainly true in my life. There's a third word that is used in scripture, and that is glorified. We're justified and we're saved, we're forgiven, and we're sanctified, we're set apart, and we're growing. That's the here and the now primarily. And then there's the ultimate goal that Peter talks about, which is being glorified, being completely out, no longer in in an environment like this, the new heavens and the new earth, eternity, where we are not tempted. We are not subject to physical pain or to illness or to heartache or to grief or any of those things. Now, here is the astounding truth in Scripture. Romans 8. Paul describing what we call the golden chain of salvation. He naturally puts all of these concepts being called and justified. He puts them in the past tense. There's one that is yet to be accomplished fully. And that is to be glorified when I am conformed fully and finally and forever to the image of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Paul puts that in the past tense. Because he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. Jesus. That short little review was designed to contrast one concept. And that's a word we call regeneration. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn. There's a few verses I want you to turn to. The first one is the book of John, the gospel of John. I want you to see these in your own Bible. Jesus is now beginning to reveal his own glory. We have a fascinating little encounter or exchange. A religious leader, Nicodemus, a Pharisee. He comes to Jesus in the dead of night and he said, look, you clearly are working with the power of God. What's, what, what is your message? What, who are you? What are you about? We'll simply highlight 
verse 3. Or we can read verse 2. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with you. Now here's the, the problem that Nicodemus came, and here's likely the reason why he came in the dead of night. Your actions tell me that you are from God. Your message basically flies in the face of everything I stand for as a Pharisee. Tell me more. Jesus begins with this statement. Verse 3. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There is a new birth that is required. A new birth means that something inside of you is completely, totally transformed and changed. Paul put it this way to the Corinthians. If anyone is in Christ, he is a what? He's a new creation. Old things have passed. Behold, all things are now new. Justification, that's a status change. Regeneration, the new birth, God living inside of you, his spirit living inside of you at work, that's regeneration. And that's, the, that's where you and I are different and more and more being made to look like Christ. One more time, I'd like you to turn to the Old Testament, to the book of Jeremiah. We've looked at this before, but I want to repeat it again because it is so important. Jeremiah chapter 31. This passage is a key passage that speaks to this new covenant. Remember the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, Moses brought the law, there was an agreement, there was a covenant, there was a promise that God made with the people of Israel, and it basically looks like this. Listen, if you honor and obey me, if you worship me, if you do the things that accompany that, like loving your neighbor, I will bless you in ways that you cannot even fathom or even comprehend. However... The rest of that chapter, which is much longer, if you neglect me, if you forget me, if you disregard me, if you ignore me, if you act contrary to what I have laid down, I myself will chase you. I will bring curses on you. It's what we call a conditional covenant, right? And we see that being played out in the Old Testament, right? When the Israelites went into uh, into exile and into bondage. But look at what Jeremiah says. Remember, this is a key time, right? This is when they are fi- they are experiencing uh, difficulties, and God is giving hope in the midst of it. Verse thirty-one: Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. New Covenant. We won't read the entire passage, but if you go back down to verse 34, the end, no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and his brother know the Lord, for they will all know me. 
From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. That is a beautiful statement that is unusual for the Hebrew scriptures. I will remember your sins no more. What is that? That's justification. That's a status change. You are now forgiven. And unlike what they were currently experiencing, which is sacrifices being made on a daily basis, over and over and over again, annually, daily, I mean, it was, thank you, George, (laughs) right? Now, God says, I'm doing something new. And the book of Hebrews would say of this one that he would deal with sin once and for all and he would sit down at the right hand of God. Never through his suffering, by his death, through his resurrection, never again would this issue be revisited because Jesus came and offered himself. Jesus came and offered himself once. Jesus is Jesus. When Jesus did it, it stuck. Never to be improved upon. Never to have the eraser side of your pencil come in and well, let's just not at all. Jeremiah says, I will, God says to Jeremiah, I will remember your sins no more. But verse 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Watch this. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. That is regeneration. That is the new birth. That is the life of God inside, in the life of individual people. Where we are now inclined to do the right thing even when no one is watching. When we are inclined to do the right thing, not to appease some religious person or somebody else who's keeping track. Not at all. My heart has changed. I'm a new creation. This is where I want to go. But remember, sanctification, that journey can be very rough because we're met with temptation and so on and so forth. The life of God in the life of people with a natural and a new disposition to love freely. To love in a way that reflects our heavenly father. So here is the command in this passage. To love one Another. To love one another. Verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. Why? Well, love is from God. There's nothing complicated. You don't need a theology degree to understand this. God is love and God now lives in you 
It is the natural disposition. We now have a responsibility to take that, to be intentional and to persevere in loving other people. Because if we're honest, loving people isn't always easy. We've talked about loving those people that love us back, loving those people that think like us, act like us. We enjoy hanging around with them. Well, Peter says elsewhere, what good is that? As did Jesus. Great. You love people who are nice to you, who who you agree with. I mean, that's not bad. But what about those who persecute you? What about those who give you a hard time? What about those who get under your skin? Love well is something that you hear us speak to often. It's one of our values. It's an obvious one. We are called to love well. Jesus said, he said, guys, this is how they will know that you're following me, that you are my disciples, by your love one for another. Now think about that for a moment. Again, we're not just talking about being up in our feelings. Love has requirements of us. Love requires us to forgive. Love requires us to be long-suffering with other people. Love requires us to get along with one another. Those who truly love with God's love are born again. It is the, the wonderful affirmation of the life of God inside of us. Something that will continue to develop. Another theme is assurance. John leverages love as a method of assurance for the believer. When you look back and you see yourself loving and attempting to love other people, well, that shows you that the life and the love of God are inside of you. You are no longer content to treat people or to respond to people the way you have in the past. What I find very fascinating, there are a number of atheists, agnostics, who will oppose the Christian faith, who will engage in active dialogue and debates and so on and so forth. And of course, there are Wonderfully gifted men and women who have the opportunity and the ability to answer those questions and to do a really good job of it. And I applaud those people. But there's something that's very interesting. When you speak to a number of former atheists, former agnostics who have come to faith in Christ, many of them will give the reason in very plain terms from their perspective. Arguments were good, but I saw something in these people. They were different, and I could not replicate, nor could I reproduce or produce what I saw in their midst. So there's a very well-known example of this, a guy by the name of Josh McDowell. Josh McDowell, you might be familiar with him. He's getting up in age now. But Josh McDowell, I think he was in college, but he was aggressively trying to mock and engage 
the Christians that he knew at his university. He took scholarly arguments against them. And he made it his own personal journey to investigate the resurrection of Jesus and to disprove it, to prove it wrong. Well, that kind of failed, but not just in the ways that you might imagine. Yes, he emerged with actually the resurrection is a very well attested to historical fact. So we're going to acknowledge that and put that over here. He looked into the Bible. Is the Bible the word of God? Is it, is it, is it uh, trustworthy? All of those things. Well, what he, again, once again, he came up against a brick wall and he realized, you know, there's more here than I ever thought there was. But when you listen to his testimony, his story, you know what he focuses on? That group of Christians, I can't remember what, what ministry it was, but there was like a Christian fellowship at his university. It was those pesky Christians who presented him with something that his analytical mind could not explain. Could not explain. And that is these people, and apparently it was a diverse group of people, different backgrounds and and such. But the love that he witnessed and experienced with these people completely changed his life. He couldn't explain it. How do these people, how do these people who never knew each other like a year ago, many of whom came from different parts of the world and are now a part of this fellowship? I mean, you know, this one over here studying engineering. This one is, I don't know, something else, science, whatever it is. They're all different people, but they have this thing, this it that ties them together. And he will tell you, it was the love of God that arrested his attention. And it's a beautiful thing. And as you know, he went on to do a tremendous amount of work in the area of apologetics. Evidence that demands a verdict. Excellent, excellent work. A little little old school. But John is telling us that a mark of a Christian is how we love one another. How we love. I'd like you to hold your place there and turn a little bit to the right to another work of John, and that is the book of Revelation. Revelation is the last stop on the ride. Revelation chapter 2. Do you remember the Ephesian church? We went through the book of Ephesians together recently. Well, the Ephesian church, you might recall, the Ephesian church were really strong when it came to doctrine, when it came to truth, knowing the truth, defending the truth, standing for the truth, and even suffering in their pursuit of being, of their fidelity to the truth of God. Jesus, you might recall, is visiting the seven Asian churches and giving his feedback. Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 2, we'll read this. This is his word. These are his words to the Ephesian church. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. 
and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested, remember Mike's message from Sunday, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Wow. That's commendable. But, verse 4, I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. You have lost your first love. You're doing it mechanically. You're cold to one another. Knowledge you've got down pat. And we don't want that to change. But that love. That was, as Paul says, shed abroad in your heart. You've grown cold. You're not loving one another as you should. And by default, you're not loving me. Piercing words from Jesus. Verse 5. Remember therefore from where you have fallen and repent. And do what you did at first. You need to stop this. And you need to remember who you are. You need to remember that God loves you. And you need everything that you do and you say to be bathed in love. So what is the basis, going back to 1 John, what is the basis for his command to say, love one another? He doesn't just put it as a self-standing command. He ties it, he tethers it to something remarkable. He says, let us love one another. In light of the manifest love of God. I'm not asking you to do anything, John says, that you haven't experienced yourself. The impetus, the basis, the foundation, the reason, the inspiration, the example is the love of God that was manifest among us, that was seen, that was experienced. What is it? God sent his only son, verse 9, into the world. That we might live. Well that cuts across. The moralistic view. Of what the cross or Christianity is. God sent his son. So you could actually live. Through. Him. But he's not done. In this is love. You want to know what love looks like? You've got a million different examples and theories and philosophies about what love is. This is what love looks like, he says. You see, it actually doesn't start with you. You are not the star of this story. It's not that we love God. 
but that God loved us. This is a parallel statement. He just said that God loved us and sent his son that we might live through him. Now he says basically the same thing, but with a little twist and a little bit more specific. He says, God loved us and sent his son. And there's that big P word again. To be the propitiation for our sins. I have a question. What does propitiation mean? What does it mean? Propitiation. Any input? Any, anybody want to? We've talked about this. To appease. To, appease, to satisfy. God sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Not to our sins. He was a propitiation to God. To satisfy the just and the righteous wrath of God on sin. God's holiness and his justice. He completely, he in every way satisfied that. So that God could be both just and the justifier of those who believe in Jesus. That we could be freely forgiven and God's justice and holiness does not suffer harm in one bit. 1 Corinthians 13, let's turn there. We need to go quickly here. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I include this in every wedding that I officiate. This is what we call the love chapter. Paul had a thing or two to say about love as well. Verse 1, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Really, you want to say nice things, but if you don't back it up with your actions, you're just background noise. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove, to, so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, yeah, I'm, I'm actually nothing. If I give away all that I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, a martyr. But if I don't have love, I gain nothing. Because you see, love has to be that which forms and which, in which everything we do is bathed in love. Verse 4, love is patient. Here's your definition. Love is kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Can you see our relationships here? How we are to, to, to work with one another? It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. But love rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things Believes all things, hopes all things, endure things, love never fails. The love of God in the life of people. Let's stir that up. Let's be intentional. Let's be patient with one another. Long suffering and work it out. This is not a guilt trip. This is seeking to inspire us in our actions to be other-centered and to persevere in our closer relationships, to be patient and to be kind to those 
among us. Allow me to show you a beautiful display of what Christian love looks like. I'll take you, take you to another platform, if you will. You, most of you know the story of the clinic in Nigeria, the sickle cell clinic. There's a reason why I'm mentioning this. Katie O'Day lost her sister when her sister was 13 through complications to sickle cell disease. God birthed in her a desire and a vision to establish a clinic that would be designated specifically to this disease to help people and also to show them the love of God in the most tangible way. If you ever sit down with Katie and ask to hear the story, which I recommend that you do, she will tell you that she's a little like Jonah. We all have a little bit of Jonah inside of us, right? This is a great idea, but after a while we want to run away from it. Because there's challenges and it's difficult and there's so many hardships that we face in that. But the Lord was very faithful to her and she was very faithful in her perseverance. And the long and the short of it is, a few of us took a trip a few years ago to visit the clinic. And it was just beautiful because they were giving out medicines, there's a nurse, there's a doctor, all these things are giving out medicines, there's, there's worship that goes on here. But I want to highlight just a couple things. If you look at this picture, there's two of us in the back row. I think you might be, be able to see who I am in this picture. The guy in the fatigues, uh, in the camouflage, um, he at the time was the doctor. Next to him, there are two sisters who are very, very beautiful sisters in the Lord. One of them was married to Mr. Agabi. She's Mrs. Agabi. The Lord took him home a few years ago due to cancer. They tirelessly ran the clinic on the ground. Tirelessly, it was their ministry. They ran the details and the logistics of the clinic. On the other side is Mary, who's the nurse who has volunteered, I think, for at least 15 years now. She has dutifully, carefully showed up to distribute medicine. She is that stable person, even though the doctors sometimes change. She is the one on the ground who makes sure everyone gets the medicine that they need. When we were there, I was able to sit in. We were able to sit in on a meeting of these different volunteers, medical and otherwise. And it is something that impressed me so deeply because... You know, here we are in another continent, and yet it looks completely similar to anything you would find here or anywhere else. Believers expressing their love for the Lord and therefore their love for people. Believers being honest and saying, you know what? I have ignored this for a while because I had other things to do. But God has convicted me. I need to be a part of this. And they're all in. Different settings, you can see this all over the world. You see it here, everywhere. Christians being convicted in a positive way that they need to step up their game. Next month, we will have the joy of participating in the grand opening of the new facilities that they have been building during the pandemic that is bigger and better, housing many more opportunities for service, It is on land that was gifted to Katie. This is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Katie obviously will be there. I will be there. Uh, Paul Thorne Kazai and his daughter will be there. And Grace Ripley will join us from Senegal. I ask you to continue to pray for these precious saints. Pray for this work. 
We would like to give you more information as they come. They are working frantically to finish all the details of the actual building before we go. Other ways you can serve, you're going to hear about Brazil today. Kazakhstan, the brothers and sisters have invited us and asked us to come. We're keeping an eye on the geopolitical landscape at that point. Consider grief share that Joan has spoke to last week. This beautiful ministry that comes alongside people who are grieving the loss of a loved one. It is a beautiful Bible-based curriculum alongside people who have experienced loss in their own lives and desire to help those who are grieving as well. Final little plug for different ways we can love well. I mentioned in an email last week, we're going to start the fellowship dinners again, the church fellowship dinners. It's where we just put out tables here. People bring food. The food is always amazing. The fellowship is good. But let me tell you something. You can't love other people if you don't know them. It's just a way to get people together around a table. Maybe you didn't know one another and to serve and to and to learn different things about their lives. It's this Saturday at 5 p.m. There's a sign up in the foyer if you want to bring something. So let's let's land the plane here. Love is natural, but we must be intentional and patient in how we love other people. Let's look at one final application, and that is 1 John chapter 4, going back to our primary text, the last verse, 11 and 12. Sorry, verse 12. No one has ever seen God. Those are facts. We don't see God with our eyes. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Saints, the way you showcase God to those around you is by loving one another. They can't see God with their eyes, but when you and I are actively loving one another, God becomes evident to those around us. Let us be fervent in loving one another. There are so many ways for us to do that now. I know I've gone a little over. Let's let's close in a word of prayer, shall we? I earnestly put this before you as an opportunity to take what scripture teaches and to put it into practice. How can we love one another? intentionally love one another well look for opportunities look for opportunities to be patient with one another to be kind to one another to meet the needs that each of us has that maybe other people don't know about all of this is premised on the good news and the gospel of jesus christ believe on the lord jesus christ and you will be saved Not your efforts, your good works, your money, any of those things. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, we give you thanks and praise. We thank you. You are faithful. You are good. You are kind. We thank you that you are alive inside of us. Oh, Lord, this wonderful admonition to love one another, let us do so beautifully. Let us us persist in this. Let us be thoughtful in this. And first and foremost, fill us with your love. Remind us 
how deeply you love us. All of these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.